And do remember that there is uh, infant uh, watching over if you want to have your infant watched over down in the basement and us preschool, Sunday school up there. Occasionally you'll hear bursts of biblical wonder coming down the stairs. Lewis is going off there. See ya. Let's, uh, let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord God, we're grateful for your ancient mercies that from many, 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 many times ago you have started to love man and, and, and do what is good for us. We'd ask that that good would be given us this morning. In your word, in your son's name, amen. Um, last week it was conveniently Christmas Eve. This week it is conveniently New Year's Eve. I'm not throwing a party. I'm just saying. If you come over, you will not get a party unless you bring one with you. Okay? But at the end of the year, many people. Many people uh, make resolutions, and I'm sure many pastors throughout the land are preaching on the resolutions you make. I've never done it, because we can tell. But I think in many ways, for Christians, our resolutions are made for us. It's already been laid out. What's going on your next year? And uh, there goes the control up there. And as I was looking at the work, because I was thinking of that, you know, I wanted to say, well, how, how do you fit into the, these good moments when New, Year, New Year's Eve is on Sunday? Before people go out there and wherever there is a party, not at my house. And... Uh, it's almost hard to find a place that isn't a resolution for the Christian. But there was a nice thought in 1 Peter, and I'd been in this section in two different sermons about a year and a half ago, uh, speaking of different things regarding it. So I wanted to put verse 8 of chapter 3 of Peter, 1 Peter, through verse 11 of chapter 4, and draw your attention to a few things. Now, most people are looking at, I mean, 2017, what a, what a year. I mean, I've been through a few years, but what a year. It's been a lot of fun. Um, busy in our lives, busy in certain yours, but just the weirdness of the universe at this point. And I'm, so consequently, 2018... I'm sort of salivating or getting the popcorn pop for it because it's just going to be a blast to go through. When people make resolutions or make plans or, or, or sit down at the kitchen table with the wife to figure out the budget for the next year or look at their taxes, whatever, sensible planning or, or fanciful, idealistic planning, you want it to be better. You want your life to lead you to greater good and happiness. 
state of blessedness. That's why we um, make the resolutions. Sometimes it's to trick God. I'm going to promise that I'm going to work on my temper. There, I've made a resolution. I resolve not to be so hot-headed, hoping that God will go, oh, he's going to be good this year. I'm going to start rolling blessings out for him in 2018. But we want the blessing. We want the good. We could be insincere, but we, st- we really sincerely want the good. And the word finally stuck out at me in verse 8 of chapter 3 of First Peter. Finally. He's been going through, this is, it, today it reads more interesting to us. He is just talking about the end of his letter. I'm done with you now. I've gone through two and a half, three and a half chapters. Uh, so uh, let's wrap this up. And he says, wrapping it up sort of things. Look, finally, all of you have unity of spirit, sympathy, love of the brethren, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now you can go to all sorts of places in the New Testament and get the same list, the same things addressed. You love the brethren, you have a humble mind, Philippians springs to mind, have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. Be unified, understand each other, bear one another's burdens, sympathy. Do not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling. He had just addressed that in the previous chapter when he talked about how Christ was our example who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. So he's coming back to some of his themes. He's wrapping up. Finally, keep these things in mind. Be tender, be humble, be unified, be sympathetic. Don't be mean-spirited. Don't up the ante, don't have a feud or a Chicago way approach to things where you send three of theirs to the morgue if they send one of yours to the hospital you're not going to return evil for evil or reviling, but on the contrary bless for to this you have been called that you may obtain a blessing now I'm going to dissect your need for resolutions that have been handed to you. They've been made for you. This will keep you busy. He says, but I was going to do something else. I'm sorry. These have been made for you. Finally, and you can tick these off. You can say, you can do something else if you already have unity of spirit, sympathy, love for the brethren, tender heart, and a humble mind. And you do not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but are blessing people. Okay, go ahead and do something else with your time. You've been called to this. This wasn't just the inevitable nature of time or the calendar moving on and, and you got to New Year's Eve and you had to jot some things down to, to talk about, about your resolutions. You've been called to this. This is part of you having resolved whenever number of years ago, whenever you came to Christ, Whenever you pass from death to life, you were called to this. This is what we do. We are resolved to be these kind of people. We are to bless others. Our lives step into this world now for Christ. We are only left here to bless others. 
everything else in our life, everything else promised to us, we have far more waiting for us on the other side of death. When Paul says, I will stick around, he says, it's far better for me to go and be with the Lord, but for your sake, for the blessing he was going to be to others, he didn't die when he thought he could die. So, part of what you're going to hopefully pull away today is your resolutions handed to you have a, you might say, an explanatory aspect. You are here to be a blessing that you may obtain a blessing. Remember, you say, well, I, I make resolutions so I can improve my life. I'm not going to spend as much. I'm not going to need as many carbs. I don't know what carbs are, but people keep talking about them. And... Uh, People have things they do. I'm going to make my life, my life better. And the Lord is saying, you're here to make other people's lives better. That you may have a better life. That's what he says. Break this down. On the contrary, bless, remove the middle clause, that you may obtain a blessing. So our lives are, well, look at the things that you were told to have. All of them are relational. It doesn't say that you would learn uh, to think better. No, it's unity, sympathy, love, tenderness, humility. All of them are you being with these other people, these other yahoos in this room. They're the people who you go to church with, then the other believers in the town. They're people you are in the church of Moscow with, and then the unbelievers in this town. And there are a variety of those. You have a relationship with others. So what I want you to be is realistic about the, how much you have been given. Now, it has been suggested in some discussions in this town that I believe in freedom of the will. Now, I want you to know I don't believe in absolute freedom of the will. And the question is, how much do you think you have the right to choose? Some things are not a matter of you don't have the impossibility of the choice. You could choose to ignore this passage. But to this you have been called. God has stepped in and said, I am going to be deciding some things now that you claim that I am your Lord. Now that you claim that I am your God, I want you to be, but I really wasn't quite ready to have a humility of spirit resolution. He says, eh, been done, already instructed, already empowered to do, but I don't want, I'm sorry, this is not your area of choice. Can you imagine how much effort it takes for you to sin against the choice of God regarding your resolutions? You've got to actually plant your rear foot friend of mine, many years ago, many years ago, um, Dan Nekadam. Anyone remember Dan Nekadam? My wife remembers him. Maybe my dad does. Um, he went to a uh, very uh, Pentecostal getting slain in the spirit service and he never had been to one before. And uh, so when they tried to slay him in the spirit, his foot naturally went back like this and braced himself 
against every shove the pastor gave him to try to slay him in the spirit. But well, it came a tussle. He didn't go down. I had that problem with one guy baptizing him at Sunbeam Lake in, in Sealy, California. And he'd been a wrestler in high school. And he had just habitually not going to go down. I could not wrestle him under the water. I was, he was going backward, and he still had enough body core that he was not going to let me get his head under the water. We sometimes just put our foot back and say, okay, I'm not... But think about the sin of that. Think about God. Was God trying to do in your life? And this is what... You're, you're vulnerable today, right? You're saying... Oh man, it's New Year's Eve, I haven't worked on resolutions, and here's the pastor yelling resolutions at me. And you've got to have to, you know those are all good. You're going to be a blessing to people this year, you're going to receive a blessing, but I don't want to, you're going to have to sin really hard to get out of this. You're going to have to really be the person who next year, at this time, you come in for counseling or something, and you're going, why is my life so bad? Well, you're such an awful person. You put your foot back. You wouldn't drop into the water. You wouldn't let the things God is trying to do in you be your resolve. He is obtaining a blessing. You are obtaining a blessing. Look, he quotes it out of Psalm 34. He that would love life and see good days... Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. Do not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Let him turn away from evil and do right. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those that do evil. And when Aunt Betty has cancer and you want to ask God to help her out, I know God loves Aunt Betty and I know cancer is awful, but you are awful. Not you, but you. Any who would not accept these resolutions as things that you're supposed to be doing, setting your mind on, so that we would be able to bless others in this world and receive this blessing that the Almighty God would hear our prayers. That's what he's telling you. The eyes of our Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. And he doesn't listen to the prayer of the ungodly. If he wants to heal Aunt Betty, it's not going to be because of your prayer. Unless you step into this blessing. This blessing is something... Well, do you have any objections to any of these things? Now that psalm, Psalm 34, this is just the kind of the middle. A little later in the psalm, I, I have the Psalm 34, the passage quoted here on the left-hand side, stopping at verse 16, the face of the Lord is against evildoers. The ellipsis, verse 20 he keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Hmm. What does that have to do with the resolutions of the year? What does that have to do with any of these subjects? And why did you skip all the passages in between and quote that one? Right below it, John 19.32. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. 
But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not a bone of him shall be broken. So John, when he quotes Psalm 34, a few verses after the one quoted by Peter, is letting you know that the righteous in Psalm 34, in some way, in some part, in some sort of prophetic sense, is your Christ. And your life, because he quotes it in Peter to apply it to you, is also a fulfillment of the prophecy of Psalm 34. So how does this work? He actually, John also, refers to this in 1 John chapter 5, about the water and the blood. And you go back to John 19, and you see what John's talking about. He, is, he leans on this aspect. Now some think because water and the blood came out and they go medical on us. And they say, well, this is proof that the kind of death he would die on a cross, that he had truly died. Water coming out of his lungs and, his, and, and blood as well. Proof of death, basically. But John seems to at least think it was important that he be dead so that the fulfillment of the prophecy in Psalm 34, not a bone of his would be broken. So how, how do we think of us in this passage, Psalm 34, Christ in this passage? Let's go on. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is right? Now one of the benefits of good, let's go back and list it quickly. Unity of spirit, sympathy, love of the brethren, a tender heart and a humble mind, not returning evil for evil, reviling for reviling, blessing others. Okay, generally a good citizen. Nice person to be around. Someone you don't mind because things aren't going to go sideways on you with these people. They're always going to return a blessing. They're good. Generally speaking, good things come to good people. That's why you have small laws in a country that people might follow them. The better the population is, the more advanced and civilized and benefited the civilization becomes. Everyone knows that good comes on good. Who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is right? Right? Always just being good. It always surprises us when bad things happen to you. And bad things do. But that's the norm. If you're encouraged to be a blessing, it is natural that there is a blessing coming to you, just in the way things are. If you walk up to me and say, Evan, you've lost a few pounds, I think. I'm going to like you. A lot. You say, well, you probably need, you're probably feeling famished. We ought to go to lunch. I'll like you more. <laughs> and then you still, you still look like you've no matter what. If you're a blessing to me, good things will happen. I won't preach against your sins. Okay? You've got to tell me what they are, but, you know, try to avoid them. 
So you sit with comfort. You haven't complimented the pastor. When you do good, when you're a blessing to others, when you don't... Have you ever... I don't know if you are in a family. Well, you are in a family, but what kind of family you're in. Where people, there's passive aggression, there's mean spirited there's just malice. There's just crazy in some people's cases. Just crazy. These are people returning evil for evil. No sympathy, no tenderness, no humility. You're being offered an almost, almost automatic blessing. God has made you good. He has called you. To this you have been called. He said the same thing in... Um, before this, uh, when he's talking about submitting to the, your masters, chapter 2, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. There's a hint in that. Well, you say, well, Jesus was really good, wasn't he? Really, really good. And they killed him. Well, Peter doesn't have a problem with acknowledging that. But even if you do suffer for righteousness' sake, verse 14, you will be blessed. Now this is where you're going to have to think a bit. Because we are the kind of people that like just the inventory of good things. Enough compliments coming towards the pastor makes the pastor happier. Insults make him less happy. So let's just pile that up. What are the good things? Money, too. Money and compliments. Power. People just want more of those. And more of those. Christianity is different. Christianity is mature. Christianity understands you want to be happy. Understands you want to have the blessed life. But understands it's actually the arrangement of things, not the inventory of things. But even if you do suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. There's a natural blessing to you being good. God made the world to favor good people. He made others to like good people. So you do good to others, even if they're ungodly hell's angels, they are going to be nice to you. Because, ever get out of a ticket? More ladies than men. But some of you men have gotten out of a ticket. Yes, sir. Why, I know. Yes, I've, I, I, was, I was speeding. I'm sorry, sir. I was, I was hurrying home for dinner. Didn't, didn't notice the speed, and, and I exceeded the speed limit. Well, I'm going to give you a warning this time. What happened? Instead of rolling your eyes and giving some snotty response to the cop, he's going to write you up. I saw a short video the other day of some councilwoman in some eastern state pulled over for something and she just lit into that comp like she entitled and everything else. He was going to write her a lower ticket, but she just got worse and worse and worse. It, she got unblessed because she not only got the ticket, she, the video went viral, she lost the next election. Not blessed. We know we have natural blessing, but then God says, you know, you're on that off chance. 
that you suffer for righteousness' sake, in that off chance you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. He said that earlier in the book, in chapter 2, for what credit is it if when you do wrong and are beaten for it, you take it patiently? But if when you do right and suffer for it, you take it patiently, you have God's approval. Not only approval, but blessing. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your heart reverence Christ as Lord. Okay, this is step one on this. We're, we're function- he was functioning in a world in which is more like Iraq today, or more like some unfriendly Muslim country who hates Christians. And Christians are under persecution. That's what he was living in. And so most of the book, First Peter, is about dealing with persecution. But the beginning is this. We have a resolution to be. Blessing will come to your life if you're holy. Because blessings come to holy people. But on the off chance there are people so wicked, they want to hurt you for being good, blessings are still yours. You're not to be afraid nor troubled, but reverence Christ as Lord. Now got that? I trust that you already got that worked out. But that you, just like you reverence the cop and got out of the ticket, reverence Christ as Lord, understand who you're under, who you serve, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who calls you to account for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. You reverence Christ as Lord, you reverence those you're making the defense to, you're gentle to them and revere them, You see, you read, say, Paul's ministry in Acts, he's always got this very polite, when people are asking him questions, when he's talking to the ungodly, he's, he's respecting their offices. Now he's aggressive with, what's his face, Elamus the magician in Cyprus, but he's, um, he was trying to hurt the work of God. But people who were just pagans, who were curious, almost excellent Felix, We reverence Christ as Lord and we reverence our fellow man. I want you to understand that you live a life in this resolved state that God has planned for you. He has resolved these things that you're to pick up this year and do. Because the blessed life, not the blessed life of inventory good all the time, it's not health and wealth, because health and wealth people want inventory. They want the inventory to be high and if anything bad happens to them, they think it didn't work. The incantation didn't work. The Bible says it's going to happen most of the time if you're good, but even if you're punished for being good, even if you suffer, you're still going to get the blessing because that was our Christ. Keep your conscience clear so that when you're abused, those who revile you, your good be- revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So first off, you're good. You're an excellent addition to any party. People love having you over, especially the pastor, because you say he's thin. Now, 
But say somebody, they're just bad people. There's just bad people out there. They're going to say bad things about you. And so that you suffer for the badness. And you know, I'm going to reference Christ as Lord. And those people are corrected by the fact that you are actually good. When they see your good behavior, those who revile it may be put to shame. Everybody else looks at these people who are being hurtful to Christians for being good, mocking them. Everybody begins to recognize that good is good. We, when we know that in the, in the fall, one of the innate things in humanity, the, the thing we gained in the fall, was the knowledge of good and evil. It doesn't matter who you are or how evil or how good, you know what's right, you know what's wrong. And when people who are evil look at the situation, they go, they know who's in the right. They know who's in the right. There's someone who's in the real wrong there, but they are getting shamed. Instead of them being blessed by hurting the believer, you're being blessed because you're being upheld. It is better, verse 17, to suffer for doing right, if that should be God's will, than for doing wrong. Okay, keep that in mind. It's possible to suffer for being wrong. Don't think because you're suffering you're a saint. If you're suffering for doing right, It is better. Now, this is where I want you to pick up, going back to why the verse in Psalm 34 and is about you and about the Christ. We correspond. We correspond with Christ. Not write him letters. Uh, there's a correspondence. When it says you are in Christ, John talks about it, and abide in Christ, being in Christ. And sometimes we say these things, and being in Christ is, um, you know, what, what, what do I actually mean? What did I say when I said I'm in Christ? Because when I was little, it was, behold, I stand at the door and knock. You know, I invited Jesus into my life, not I was invited into his life. Okay, it's a way of thinking, but you don't want to narrow it down. One of the things that you are in Christ in, this is not to say this is, even Stephen, this is the only thing it means. This is one of the things it means. Is there a, there is a correspondence between him and you? Exemplary correspondence? The nature of his life in the world? For Christ... Verse 18, also died for sins once for all. Now he says, for Christ also. Realize that your life, when you are persecuted for righteousness sake, you are corresponding with Christ. All, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now, He's about to say a couple of things that is like a, I don't know if you've ever been on a family road trip, big freeway, driving along, comfortable, you cross over a hill, and then a big billboard comes up, six flags. And the kids are all looking at the picture of the roller coaster and the word six flags. And you're trying to say, no, we're going to drive on to someplace else that has no entertainment. 
probably not even a pool at the hotel. We're going to drive on because this is sensible. Six flags, another billboard, six flags. Then you start to see the lights of the distance and the roller coasters. You can even hear the screams of small children going down the hill and the kids are pleading. And not only that, but the, the left five lanes are all going off the freeway into Six Flags. This is what's about to happen here. I apologize for the word of God. In which he went and preached to the spirits in prison. What? Who formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Hold it. During the building of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. Baptism. What? Now already you know that the first, the five left lanes, or right lanes, on the freeway are calling you to that roller coaster ride where you get to talk about spirits in bondage. Narrowly defined as those who are antediluvian. You say antediluvian before the flood. Oh, baptism. How many, do you know how many fights have occurred in Christianity over baptism? I mean, enjoyable recreational fights over baptism. Which direction upstream, downstream, infant, adult, believing, unbelieving, water, spirit. You could just go on. But boy, man, you got some stuff here. You got some stuff here. So much so, there's so many lanes on this freeway turning off to six flags at this point so that we will talk about spirits in bondage and the doctrine of baptism that nobody talks about what the passage is about. Because he's not talking about introducing you to the concept of Jesus Christ going to Hades and preaching to the antediluvian Nephilim, potentially, that they might have a second chance of grace. What? Well, ask me later, because that's not what the passage is about. What is it actually corresponding to? Your baptism, whether it's spirit baptism, water baptism, whatever you conceive it to be, what you think of the spirits, whatever that is, you were told what Christ also did, died for sins once for all, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now, he ends that section, verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. Now, this is what I want you to do. Get back on the freeway. The kids won the argument. The lame dragged you off. The children were deciding where you were going to spend your dollars. But you knew better by the time you get to the bottom of the ramp, and there is an on-ramp, a small one, but an on-ramp, to get you back into the scriptures. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same thought. But I'm thinking about the spirits in bondage. I'm thinking about the doctrine of baptism. He says, no, the same thought that Christ had regarding his death. His suffering as the righteous for the unrighteous. Arm yourselves with the same thought. You're going to need to be armed because you are going to be called into the blessing of suffering for righteousness sake. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. You have a correspondence with Christ. If this is the case, stop thinking about the spirits in bondage. Later, 
in the afternoon when you're thinking by yourself or chatting with a friend on, you know, wherever you chat, you can talk about it. It is in the Bible. But he wants you to attend to this. Arm yourselves with the same thought that Christ had. So as to live, verse 2, so as to live for the rest of the time of the flesh, no longer by human passions, but by the will of God. The reason you do this is that you would become more holy still. You're supposed to be holy. The resolutions made for you here are basic holiness. It's going to need for you to not make decisions by your urge, but by your decision. By the will of God. Not your own decision, but your decision was that you were bowing the knee to God. Right? You were bowing the knee to the, uh, to the decisions he made. That was your will. Let the time past, let the time that is past suffice for doing what the Gentiles like to do. Living in licentiousness, passions, drunkenness, revels, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you do not now join them in the same wild profligacy, and they abuse you. It is natural for the wicked to think that I only can get myself a, a absolution by making fun of the good person so that we can all do bad things together and not seem so not seem so bad but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead for this is why the gospel was preached even to the dead what? another exit because that ties in with Jesus preaching to the spirits in prison uh... We, can't we go back and talk about this? Some other time. We're to be sensing the correspondence your life has when you do good and are blessed for it and when you do bad and are suffering for it. We live a life of blessing like Christ did. He descended into Hades and preached whatever you think it is. For the sake of the gospel. So that they could live. So that's why the gospel was preached even to the dead. That though judged in the flesh like men. They might live in the spirit like God. Don't think about what category you're addressing. Or whether or not this is a second chance for dead spirits. Think about the motive. Have this thought. Arm yourselves with the same thought that Christ had. He suffered the righteous for the unrighteous and went to Hades and did this. Whatever you think this is, it was so that they could live in the Spirit like God. Do you have that point that you're a blessing to this world just because you're good and that you are willing to suffer for being good that you might lead spirits to God? That's the, that's the mind he had. It set up a correspondence between your life and his. It even quoted the same psalm about his death and your blessing. Some applied to you, some applied to him. How do you correspond to Christ?
we have the possibility of suffering to end sin in such a sin and situation. We're always preaching to the dead. And we're supposed to design, design a life that is not by passion, but by the will of God. That's so inform your resolves. And then it says in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. And you're saying, I look at the clock in the back, and he says, well, they're probably hoping for the end right about now. It's the end of the passage, it's the end of the year. And the resolutions keep coming. Look at them here. Therefore, since the end of all things is at hand, he's talking about the end. Whatever you want to do with that. I don't know what my eschatology is. Who cares? At least the end of the year is at hand. Some of us are really old. The end of our lives are at hand. Whatever your eschatology, you'll be dead in 60. The end of your world is at hand. I mean, what if you knew? I mean, I'm 63. I'll be dead in 30 years. Okay? 93 ain't happening. So dead in 30. I could easily say that my eschatology is the world will end in 30 years. You got pick a number, whatever you know you'll be dead by. Go, I know the world will be dead or gone completely. The end of my world in 60 years. The end of all things is at hand. Keep, therefore, sane and sober for your prayers. Sane. Some of you might not be quite sane enough. Fix it. Sober. Some of you keep falling back into passion. They want, you want your Christian life to be about passion. I want to love Jesus. Okay. Sane and sober. Above all, hold unfailing love for one another. Since love covers a multitude of sins, practice hospitality ungrudgingly to one another. It's like, okay, let's have them have a virtue called hospitality in which the greatest temptations of grudge are possible. It's like, it's like sending an alcoholic into a bar to minister to people. People are told, open your home when you really want to be left alone, mostly in your home. That's the place I don't want any of you. But tonight, if you come over, bring something to share. Okay? Please. And help clean up at the end. That's the other rule. Mrs. Wilson has clean up at the end. But you know that what that's like. You know the women who put plastic on their furniture. I don't know if that's any of you, but repent. The furniture is for other people to sit on, not to be insulted by. Already the grudge. <clears throat> I'm not going to talk about taking off your shoes at the door. Civilized people wear shoes. All the time. Ungrudgingly. That's it. You, some of you say, oh boy, the resolutions written for me by Jesus Christ, that's the one that I'm going to need all the time in the world to work on. I can't even cook. You know, something like that. As each has received a gift, employ it for one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. 
I want to say, you say, you say, why is he, why is he so incensed this morning? It's like he's laying into us. For heaven's sake, I thought we were a good church. You are. I was thinking about it this week, about what dear hearts you have to helping people out. But my dad, last week, said, Evan, you teach too much. You ought to preach. Here you are. Talk to him about it. So I'm laying into you about your resolutions. But it's, I, I've watched good things happen in this body. It's great to see. I was looking downstairs. Uh, Jim and Brian and Paul were standing by the little carved gutter of concrete that is running, flooded last night. But there was no water on the floor this morning. It, like it worked. Whatever water seeking its own level, I guess. But it's nice to see the men of the church talking about that little chiseled gutter. It was nice to hear the good things that happened over the weekend as people stepped in to solve the problem. We employ it for one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You guys got different things you can do. But do it. Whoever speaks as one who utters oracles of God. And you say, well, isn't that true? It says, whoever speaks. So when you're speaking under, of God, of these things, you're talking about the divine voice. And that's why it's so easy to preach. It's so easy to step into people's lives and go, this is what the Lord requires. And if I had a floppier Bible... I could just really make the point. Do you understand you have... You're not... Uh, me talking doesn't make it the oracle of God. We're not Roman Catholic, ex-cathedra, the Pope is without error and everything he affirms from the bishop's chair. It's your reverence for the oracles of God. Do you know you're talking about the eternal? Whoever renders service as one who renders it by the strength which God supplies. Those of you who do good for each other, knowing that you're not just earning points, you're doing something measured by God's, the divine omnipotence. The divine voice for those who talk, you reverence the divine voice. For those of you who serve, you reverence the divine power. as one who renders it by the strength which God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Because that's who you're corresponding to. That's what you're trying to live like. That's why you're trying to, who you're trying to be. I'm trying to be in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So that when I get to the end of the 2018... You know, look back and go, I was in Christ, and Christ was glorified in everything. To him belong glory because it belongs to him. Not that it, we're trying, not trying to earn a godhood for Jesus. It belongs to him. Glory belongs to him. 
and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's thank God. Dear Lord God, we're grateful for the resolve you have for us. The calling you have for us to be blessed, to be a blessing, even in the dark things. We would ask that we would be like your son, that we would represent a desire to be freed from sin, and that we would be ministering to the dead like he did. That your son would be glorified in all that we do. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Happy New Year.